Hello, welcome to the Thursday afternoon edition of Bill's Facebook Lessons. Uh, we're going through on Thursdays, uh, going through a wonderful uh, daily devotional book from Timothy and Kathy Keller, uh, The Songs of Jesus. It's a book on the Psalms, but connecting them with Jesus, since it is, of course, the prayer and song book for the Jews, and Jesus was a Jew, so it's a great connection there. And their thoughts are, are very, very good. And uh, this week and next week, we find ourselves in some of the most well-known psalms. Next week, we'll look at the psalm that starts out with the cry that Jesus thought of when he was hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's from Psalm 22. And of course, the 23rd psalm is in there and psalm 25 will be coming up as well that we get our song unto thee o lord from great psalm itself so i'm excited about what's ahead but i'm also excited about today today's lesson is from psalm 19 and it's got a few statements in it that are very well known as many of the psalms do and i'm excited to be able uh to share them with you because they are a great, great blessing. Uh, we'll start out reading uh, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, and it's interesting, the the way this psalm is structured, it gives us a, a great uh, acknowledgement of the nonverbal witness of creation, followed by the very verbal witness of the inspired and authoritative and perfect word of God, the Bible itself. Both of those are spoken of in this one psalm, Psalm 19. So um, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, first of all, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. It's such an incredible acknowledgement of creation. You know, Romans 1 says that even someone who has never gotten their hands on a Bible, never heard of the Word of God, can know that there is a divine creator, an ultimate creative power that is worthy of their worship. And so they are responsible to worship not the creation, but the creator. And that's what this psalm and wonderful psalms like Psalm 8 and Psalm 150 and so many others speak about the creation, uh, acknowledging the greatness of the creator and doing exactly what he created it to do. For example, the sun shining and bringing warmth to everyone on the earth. It's just an incredible, incredible statement. And I love the contrast in this first part as it's talking about creation. He says they have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. And then he says, yet their voice, even though they don't have any sound, their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words, even though they don't have any words, their words to the end of the world. 
Um, and, and so it's a great, great statement, that first verse, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies are firmament, proclaim the work of his hand, the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Every day they are, they are witnessing to the glory of the creator. Unfortunately, some in human history have worshipped the creation because it's so beautiful, so wonderful, so incredible instead of worshiping the wonderfully incredible eternal God who designed and made that creation. The maker is the only one that is worthy of our worship. Uh, why do mountains and oceans, the sun and stars move us as deeply as great art? The Kellers ask. The answer is because they are great art. And I think they're exactly right. It is nonverbal communication that there is a God, that the world is not an accidental collection of molecules, but the meaningful work of an artist's hands. They, they proclaim the glory of God and the incredible design of the great designer and creator. We think how remarkable it is that some would look around at the greatness of, of our world and say that that was all an accident, that it wasn't planned, that it wasn't designed, that there wasn't intent. It's, it's unfathomable. You think about and the old uh, expression, the old argument of a watch. How could a watch just all of a sudden come into existence after an explosion in a factory where all the parts were? And then you have to go back to the question, well, who made the parts? And that's the problem with uh, accepting something other than God as the source of creation. You always have to go back until you finally come back to something coming from nothing, which violates every scientific law that we know. And they say, well, what about you, Bill? What, how do you explain how this all started? And the answer is simple. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In John's version, in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word created everything that's been made, and then at just the right time, that Word became flesh and lived for a while among us, revealing grace and truth. Speaking, of course, of Jesus Christ. There never was a time when God did not exist. God is eternal. He is not human. He is not like anything in this world. In fact, everything associated with this world, every material, physical thing will one day be destroyed and will no longer be in existence, including every part of your physical body. But your eternal nature, that part of you that is in the image of God, that soul will live on forever. It is nonverbal communication that there is a God and that the, the world is the meaningful work of an artist's hands. And again, it, we all can know something about God. The more we receive the written word of God, the more we know of that one who is the eternal creator and maker and designer of everything we see. You see, the nonverbal communication is wonderful and it moves us and many are moved especially when they take a trip to the mountains or to the sea to the beach um, by creation itself looking into the eyes of the remarkable brand new born baby 
How can you say there is no God when you do that? And yet that, that communication, uh, that witness is limited. It's limited, and that's where the written word comes in. And so these words in the rest of Psalm 19, starting in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. One, let me just interject here. This is not written by someone who lives after Jesus Christ and has found that freedom from the law of Moses that we appreciate so much. This is someone who lived under the law of Moses. He's talking about the law of Moses and all the rest of God's inspired word. Much like the psalmist does in Psalm 119, he says that, uh, oh, how I love your law. The psalmist in Psalm 19 here speaks very similarly. The precepts of the Lord are right, verse 8, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. And then verse 14 ends it. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Were you reminded of a couple of old songs we used to sing? Perhaps some of you like I did when we were in our youth group days or in our young adult days or even in childhood. We read about those in this psalm. They, this psalm is the source of some of those. You know, at, at the very beginning of verse 7 in this section, you remember how that song goes, right? The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. And it goes on and goes on throughout this psalm until it finally gets to verse 10 and says, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than the honey and the honeycomb. Well, that's all of that I'm going to sing. There is more. There is more. But there's also another song at the very end in verse 14. Do you remember that one? I don't think everybody knows that one. Uh, of course, they don't know the other one either. I think sometimes Bill comes up with songs that my mind creates, and I'm thinking that I sang them years ago, and maybe I did, maybe I didn't. I don't know. But verse 14 is one of those. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight dear lord probably not a very good rendition of that it's been years and years since i sang it um decades probably since i sang it but i do remember it and it's taken from this psalm psalm 19 that begins with this wonderful call of the natural world singing the praises of the creator, the creation, acknowledging the greatness and the power 
and the artistry of the Creator. But nature, again, can only go so far. It tells us about God's reality, as uh, the Kellers write, but not about His saving grace. It doesn't tell us about salvation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't tell us the specific teachings of the Word of God. And yet the psalmist, even though the psalmist had that, he acknowledges that in the second half of the very same psalm. But he doesn't feel constrained by it. He doesn't feel burdened by it. So many of us here in 21st century America feel like it's a burden to be told what we can and can't do. The psalmist lived under the law of Moses and didn't feel that way at all about his God. Uh, the decrees of the Lord are firm. All of them are righteous. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Uh, they're sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb. In keeping them, there is great reward. That's how the psalmist felt about the Bible. How about you? How do you feel about God's word? You say, oh, Bill, I love the Bible. Great. Do you read it? When you read it, do you seek to live it out in your life? Ezra was described as one, as a man who uh, studied the word of God and obeyed it and then shared it. Do you do all of those? The psalmist did. The psalmist studied God's word and praised God for his wonderful word. And then he sought to obey it because he found it a joy to live obediently. And he's sharing it. How do you know he shared it, Bill? He wrote this psalm. He wrote this psalm. Only the Bible can enlighten the spiritually blind. Only the Bible can refresh the soul. Um, let's close today with a prayer, the prayer that this psalm closes with. Psalm 19, verse 14. Father, may these words of our mouths and this meditation of our heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus we pray, amen. Have a great weekend, and I will see you on Tuesday. God bless.